Well, we're in First Peter chapter one, and we read verses three to nine, and so now we're right in the middle of this this paragraph here. I was um, reminded of something as I was studying this week that that 2016 was it was a pretty hard year for me, and for for a couple different reasons. But the the main reason was that uh, that was the year that I wrote my my dissertation for my doctorate, and I I got permission from the school to expedite my doctoral dissertation, a process that normally takes 18 months. Uh, I finished it in eight months. And what that meant was that every single day I had to be making progress on that thing or else I was going to be in trouble. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever encountered in my life in, in my ministry career. And there were so many times I wanted to quit you know, the quit meter would just get pegged all the way over, right? Uh, one time in particular, I was writing, I was supposed to be writing chapter number three, which was the sociological implications of my project, plus uh, coming up with an empirical way of measuring the results. And I, I was thinking and researching, I thought, I don't even know how to begin this. And so I called my advisor and his secretary answered and said, well, he's out, he's going to be out for two weeks. And so for two weeks, I'm thinking, okay, this thing's done. I'll never finish my dissertation. I quit. But I didn't quit. I kept going. And here's where I'm going with this is why did I not quit? The answer is that I was looking forward to that day in December when I walked up on the platform and shook Dr. Al Mohler's hand and received a diploma from him. That's the hope that kept me going. And when we get to verse number six of our text, we find that Peter is doing the same thing to people. He's giving them hope. And he's saying, you're going to endure difficult times, and I want to give you something that you can look forward to. And so he, he unpacks that in verses three to five. And he comes to verse number six and he says a little prepositional phrase where he says, in this you rejoice. Now I have a question for you. You read the passage. You've got it in front of you right now, I hope. What is he talking about? When he says, in this you rejoice, is he talking about what he's about to say? In this you rejoice that you're about to have trials. Is that what he's pointing forward to? In this you rejoice that you're going to have troubles and trials I don't think so because he uses the word grieve to talk about these trials. I think that he's looking at these believers and he's pointing backwards and he's, he's, he's talking about the living hope. Look at these verses one more time. Verses three to five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven, guarded in heaven for you. We looked at last week. Who we, by God's power, were being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And if that doesn't excite you as a Christian, I don't know what does. What a great promise. And so Peter is looking at these people saying, look at this. This is what we rejoice in. Things are tough here. And so we're working through a thesis that I gave you last week, and that is this, that because we have an eternal inheritance, 
We have joy even in suffering, even in trials. And Peter reminds his readers, yes, it's tough. Yes, it's painful, but they're looking forward to the living hope. The only reason I persevered through the writing of that dissertation is that I had a hope that in December I would receive a, a, a diploma. It's that future joy. It's looking forward to a future rejoicing that drove me to finish that process. And the same is true for you. Anything that There's a saying that anything worthwhile is not easy. Would you agree with that? Everything in your life that's ever been worthwhile has not been easy. And therefore, living the Christian life here on earth is not at present the easiest thing, is it? How you come through trials, though, is determined by where your hope is fixed. If you have your hope firmly planted on the future grace that Jesus is promising you, then you fare well through the trials. And I'll t- I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But if your hope is not in the future that God has given you, it's in anything else that's in this world, these trials are just going to crush you and leave you by the side of the road. All of us go through trials. Uh, I like the Bible. When you read the Bible, you see several things about people. You see that either we are finishing up trials... Uh, I know college students, several college students who are, they just finished their finals. And so they finished their trials. Either we're finishing trials, or we're right in the middle of trials, or we're getting ready to start more trials. Isn't that, isn't that encouraging? I'm trying to encourage you today, best I can. That's the way the Bible talks about the, the Christian life. So what I want to do is I want to look at what joy looks like for a Christian who's in the midst of trials. Look at verse number 6 with me. Verse number 6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So why can we rejoice in trials? How can we do it? Number one, we can rejoice in trials because they're only temporary. It says, though now for a little while. Dear believer, you can rejoice despite suffering because you know that suffering will not persist forever. I used to uh, visit a church member <coughs> in my previous church. He was serving a five-year prison sentence. And I, I tried to go hit, see him several times per year. We did book studies together and all sorts of different things. And I remember when he first got put in there, it just, it just weighed on him in prison. And um, he, he was really having a difficult time with it. But interestingly enough, as... You know, year number two rolled through. He said, you know what, I'm almost halfway. And then when he got halfway through year three, he's like, I'm halfway through. And and by the, the, the end of the time, the last nine months or so, he was just so excited because he had a hope. He had a hope that one day he was going to get out of prison and be able to come back and be back in his church and that, that sort of thing. And so every day that we live, we are one day closer to freedom. We are one day closer to freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from trials. Freedom from suffering in this life. Freedom from difficulties. Freedom from disappointments. We are one day closer to freedom. What a wonderful blessing that is. That trials only last for a little while. Peter's not promising, by the way, that suffering is going to be brief. But it will be brief compared to the future glory. 
And it doesn't mean, when he's talking about this, that sufferings are somehow enjoyable. They're not. That's why they're called suffering. They're not enjoyable. But dear believer, rejoice, because in the midst of your suffering, you have a hope that it will not last. And that's wonderful. Second thing that we see is that suffering is the will of God. We can rejoice during trials because suffering is the will of God. Look at that verse one more time. Though now for a little while, two words, if necessary. If necessary. This little word, if necessary, points to the fact that there is a purpose for that trial placed in your life by a person. Now, I can't think of anything more depressing than if I had a mechanistic view of materialistic, mechanistic view of the universe and life. Wouldn't that be discouraging, depressing? That, In other words, that life and death and suffering just comes to you through a series of random acts. Wouldn't that be terrible? You, you have no purpose for the trial or the testing. You have no purpose for the, the diagnosis from the doctor or uh, from the bad news that you receive on the telephone. To, for me, not know the, the, the idea that there's not a God in the universe bringing this to me would bring absolute despair to my life. And I think it would be to yours as well. But see, trials and suffering, they're brought to us by, by God. That's why Christian theology is superior. The suffering that you face is not the result of some impersonal force of nature. It's not random chance like uh, evolutionary processes would have you to believe. Instead, it's the God of mercy and grace, the loving God of the universe, who lovingly brings suffering to us. Now, I said a minute ago that, that trials are not enjoyable. And Peter affirms this. He says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, that, that's a real paradox to me. Did you catch the paradox? You can rejoice and be grieved at the same time. Now, how does that happen? How can a Christian rejoice in our heavenly hope and be grieved at trials at the same time? It just doesn't make sense. Except that we've all experienced it at one point or another in our life, more than likely. Most recently, for me, I would say, uh, one of the hardest sermons I ever preached was my father's funeral two years ago. Uh, last year. Was it last year? A year and a half ago. 2017. So, um, I'll, I'll never forget that day as long as I live. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to my father. Uh, I got the phone call. My my mother called me four o'clock on a Sunday morning and said, he's dying. Get down here. And I got a phone call. I lived seven hours away. I got a phone call in the middle of my trip. He's dead. And so I didn't get to say bye to my dad. But I remember the day of the funeral. I was uh, the, the church platform was huge and I was sitting behind the pulpit while special music was being sung. The person was singing. And I just sat there and I I wept and wept and wept because I missed my dad. But you know, when I stood up to preach the sermon, what sustained me during that time and gave me joy was that I knew my dad was deaf almost his whole life. Um, He could hear perfectly. He, He died of congestive heart failure. He had perfect health now. He had perfect joy 
I used to argue with my dad about biblical concepts, so I was also rejoicing at perfect theology. <laughs> he agreed with me. But do you see what I'm saying? When, as a Christian, we go through trials, but we have joy. We're grieved in trials, but we have joy because there's a God who's bringing this our way. Suffering produces a rejoicing grief. And that brings us to the first of several questions today that I want to ask. I want, because you might be thinking about these questions. The, the question I have about the text is, he said various trials. What kind of trials were these Christians going uh, through at this time? Well, this is fascinating to me because we know from reading the text that one of the trials that they were going through is they were going through trials because they were believers, they were believers, and they were going through trials, whether it's ostracization by the, the society as a whole, whether it was actually government persecution. And so I preached about this passage several years ago, and knowing that, I preached it just specifically about those kind of trials. But this week in my study, I was looking at this, and I realized something else. If, if you look at it, he says various trials, right? Now look at what else he says in verse number 7. He says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire. Now I have a question for you. Have you ever heard that anywhere else in Scripture? There's this guy named Job. Uses the same phraseology. If you want to, you can turn to Job 23. I'll show you this. Because in my study, I was thinking about this this week, and Job mentioned this. Job is, is going through trials. Now, remember these trials. Now, who, who was the one that actually persecuted Job? The answer is Satan. Who was the one who allowed Job to be tested and tried? The answer is God. And they both had different purposes. Satan's purpose was to crush Job. God's purpose was to refine Job and, and to make him stronger and to glorify himself ultimately. And what were Job's trials? Well, he lost his health, he lost his wealth, and he lost his family. Now, I dare say that those are the three things that everybody in the world desires. Would you not agree with me? Health, wealth, in family, or you can see it, say well-being, whatever you want to say. That's what all of us desire. That's what all of us want. And Job lost all three of those. Universal desires. And in, in Job 23, he starts complaining to God. And he says in verse number 2, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my, my groaning. And so he's he's... He's talking to God, and he's actually listening to his inside voice. And then he switches, and he begins talking to himself, even though he's talking to God. Look at verse number 10. In verse number 10, he says this. He says, even though these trials are weighing down on him, he says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as what? As gold. If, if Peter borrowed the language from the Old Testament, then it's clear that the suffering and trials that Peter's talking about in this passage is not only those things that they suffered because they were Christians, but also their various other trials, whether it's the, the chronic illness or, 
or uh, the bad phone call. So the trials that believers face, sometimes believers face trials because they are believers. Because your Christian faith causes you to maybe lose that promotion at work. Maybe you get ostracized at work. Maybe the neighbors don't like you because you witness to them or whatever else. I don't know what that is. But I can tell you this, no matter what the trial is, it's always a trial that was brought on by the sovereign hand of God because He cares for you. This is a thread that runs all the way through Scripture. Look at some of these Old Testament passages. Psalm 66.10 For you, O God, have, have tested us and you have tried us as, as silver has tried. The choir master, he's singing praise to God about testing and trials. Zechariah 13, this is one of my favorites. God is speaking to, there's just a righteous remnant left in Israel. Everybody, all of Israel has gone apostate except for this remnant. In Zechariah 13, in verse number 9, he says, And I will put this third into the fire. Now these are the ones who are following God. The ones following God, he says, I will put them into the fire. Why? Why is he doing this? So I will refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested and they will call upon my name and I will answer them and I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is my God. Now I'm going to get to this in just a minute, but I, I got to say it now. What does the trial do to these, this remnant? Does it, does it kill their faith? No, it says that confirms their faith. They're saying, you're my God because you give me trials. You test me like gold. And then we find Malachi. Malachi is speaking to the, 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 the priestly cast. And he says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Now, I have a gold ring. Um... I don't know what carat it is. Aren't they usually about 14 carat gold rings? I don't know. I don't know all that stuff. But um, anyway, if I went to the jeweler, what if I was a cheapskate? Could I go to the jeweler and say, hey, you know what? I'm a real cheapskate. I want unrefined gold. What do they look at you and say? You're an idiot, right? That's probably what you're saying to me right now. You're an idiot, Pastor. That's okay. I've been called worse. Um but we value gold that has been refined. Sure, we would like to have unrefined gold, but we, we are proud of, of refined gold. And God, we are His people, His possessions. And so therefore, He refines us so that we can make glorify Him to a greater degree. And so if you're suffering right now, maybe from chronic illness, maybe from uh, a in a bad marriage, suffering from a spouse, maybe from the hands of unbelievers or any other suffering, realize that trials are necessary. And that brings me to another question I want to ask, and that is, why do Christians need to suffer? It it sure seems cruel that an all-powerful God would bring suffering to His children. Why would He bring suffering? Suffering acts like a, a crucible. Crucible, crucible, whatever it is. And, and we can rejoice in these sufferings. And there's several reasons that Peter lists in the text. And number one, 
Because suffering is the path to godliness. Look at uh, verse number seven. So that the genuous, genuine, I'm sorry, so that the test of genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Suffering uh, purifies the Christian. Your suffering refines you. When you place your hope in Christ, look at uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5 with me. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How? How do we rejoice in our sufferings? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. Literally, what the author is saying, what Paul is saying is, we rejoice in sufferings because it is when we suffer as believers that we know, we feel, we experience God's love being poured into our heart. That's kind of odd, isn't it? I don't know anybody here that loves to make their children suffer. But God does. It's a loving thing. James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Suffering is what completes you. It makes you the whole package. Um, uh, right, uh, let's see, who was it? It was Zach and I. Where's Zach? We were in the store the other day. Remember that guy that was by the coffee place? And this guy was, was completely ripped in his upper body. If you could have chopped him off at the waist, the guy was massive. And he had legs about this big around. He was not a complete package. I have legs that big around and arms that big around. So I'm a, I'm a, complete, I'm a complete package, by the way. But think about it, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, do we, do we value that sort of thing? And the answer is we absolutely do. Years ago, I don't know how many years ago it was, I was watching a show on Discovery Channel, I think, about the Navy SEALs. And, of course, every guy would probably like to fancy himself as a SEAL when they're young. When you get my age and older, you leave that to the young guys type thing. But I remember watching their training. I don't know how long their training is. I think they call it buds or something like that. But it lasts weeks. And the, the pinnacle of their training is a week that they call Hell Week. And the, the TV show went through Hell Week with them. And I watched what those people, those men endured. And I just thought, this is nuts. What They, they just absolutely kill those guys the way that they treat them. But I was listening to one of the instructors that was working with them. And this is what he said. He said, with this hell week, what we're trying to do is to get these young men to forget about themselves and only think about the team. And the only guys that make it through are the ones who are willing to think about the other guys on the team and function as a team. And when they do that, we have been successful. They are, they are taking them through severe trials so that in the end, they can be called Navy SEALs and they, they fulfill their purpose. It's a purifying. They forget about themselves. And you know what? Trials are the same way. Trials in the Christian's life refines us. The secondary things fall away, don't they? Because other things become more important. 
Well, let me let me keep moving on. The the third thing is that um, it it uh, proves our faith. It proves our faith. Suffering proves your faith. Now, how does it prove our faith? To answer the question, let's consider the parable of the soils for just a minute. You remember Jesus' parable of the soils? The four kinds of soils. In that parable, when He explains it, He says that the seed represents the Word of God. The Word of God's being sown. The sower, I, in my opinion, is just any Christian who gives the Word of God out. The hearts... Or, I'm sorry, the soils that the sea lands on are the different kinds of hearts. And one of the hearts that the soil, the seed lands on, the soil is called the rocky soil. It's shallow soil. And this is what Jesus said about the shallow soil. He said, and the ones on the rock, those are the ones who when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. And while they believe for a while in the time of testing... And I'll get, I'll get to that in just a minute. The time of testing, they fall away. Now, there are many people who come to Christ in a very superficial way. They don't really come to Christ with saving faith. They come to Christ because, hey, uh, maybe He'll improve my marriage. Uh, I'm going to come to Jesus Christ because He might fix my chronic illness. I'll come to Jesus Christ because He'll fix my family. I'll come to Jesus Christ because He'll make me successful on the job. There are myriads. He'll make me happy. Jesus will make me happy. There are myriads of shallow reasons why people come to Jesus Christ. And when when Jesus said that when you come to Him, do you experience um, flowers and buttercups the whole time? Or do you experience trials? The answer is trials. And Jesus said that when these people who come with these shallow motives, come to Christ, they fall away under trials. Now, interestingly enough, that word trials is the same word from 1 Peter chapter number 6 when he says testing and trials are both the same word. They're, they're the same word. And so how you respond to trials determines your faith. It proves the genuineness of your faith. There's an unbreakable connection between faith and faithfulness. Those who truly believe will persist in their faith, continuing to trust in God when difficulties uh, occur. There's a third thing here that we see, and that is that um, it reveals true riches. Now, what what did he say about um, our faith? He said it's far more precious than Gold. I like gold. You like gold? Why is it more precious than gold? He says. Because gold passes away. I think it's, it's been about three weeks or so since the lottery got up to $1.6 billion. Oh, I see people sitting up. I don't have the winning ticket, by the way. Um, but a lot of people played hoping to get that. Now, let me ask you a question. What if I pose to you, here's your choice. You can either have that lottery winning ticket or you can go to heaven. There are a whole lot of people in the world who would rather have the lottery ticket. 
almost everybody here seemed to in unison say that that's easy. I'll take heaven any day of the week. Why? Because it's far more precious than gold. You literally can't experience. You can't put a price on it. The, the true riches of your faith. Get this. This is so important. The true riches of your faith is eternal life. It's eternal glory. It's eternal seeing the glory of Jesus Christ. It's having the glorified body. It's never experiencing pain or sorrow or loss and so much more. It's greater than true riches. And so trials, they do cause distress for a little while. And they come like fire to burn off dross. And they reveal and they purify your faith. And what emerges from trials is a faith that is more precious than gold. And when your faith gets tested, it comes out pure and more precious. Isn't that great? I read a quote this week in one of my commentaries. And it's by John MacArthur. And this is what he said. See if you track with him on this one. Because honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not here yet. You tell me. He said this. He said, instead of asking God to protect you from trials, that's my prayer, by the way. I'm not going to lie. I'm immature. You should ask him to make sure that he puts you through all the trials necessary to give you the confidence that your faith is real. And we all shake our head. How many woke up this morning and said, Lord, give me trials? We didn't, did we? What does that show us about our faith? We have a lot of work to do in there. God has a lot of work to do as well. But that's what trials are. If we really believe that, then we really could rejoice in trials. Let me give you another thing. Why do do we endure trials? It results in praise and glory and honor from God. Look at what he says. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we're all waiting for? The revelation of Jesus Christ, his second coming. That's going to be such a glorious moment. And the Bible says that when we at that moment, if you're a believer and you you are following Him and your, your hope is in Him, when He comes, you will receive praise and honor and glory. You know, I'm looking forward to that. I'm one of those guys, I never got a, I got the participation trophy growing up. Didn't you? No. You guys are a bunch of, you excel at everything. I wasn't. I was always a kid. I always played um, right field. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You're with me there. Want to be great to receive honor and glory and praise from God. We have a heavenly home. He's preparing a place for us. We're just passing through this world. We're not citizens here. This momentary light affliction that we suffer is not to be compared with the glorious weight of glory that awaits us in His presence. We cry out for the redemption of our bodies because we know that God has prepared something greater for those who love Him. You know all the verses. We're, we're ready. We're, we're already heavenly citizens. We're not citizens of this earth. Our Father is in heaven. Our home is in heaven. Our life is in heaven. The pledge of God to bring us into the eternal glory is, is cause for great joy.
Paul said this in Romans 8. He said, For I consider that the sufferings in this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Whatever we suffer here, we, we rejoice because it shows us that we have a real faith. And it strengthens that faith. And none of that suffering is to be compared with the glory that is predetermined to come to us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Now, I'm going to have to close. I'm running out of time. i got another point, but I'll say that for next week. Where are we really in this whole scale of suffering and trials? I want to bring it right home. Of, of all the people that I know, that I've met, that I know, if I can say personally, I don't think anybody that I know has suffered more this year than Debbie Holmes. She suffered a lot, hadn't she? It's been, it's been a very tough year for her. But in communicating with Debbie Holmes, her faith is strong. Isn't that what the Bible promises? Her faith is stronger now, I guarantee you, than it was this time last year. It has to be because that's a Bible promise. And every day is an ordeal. And for her her daughters as well, right? It's a trial. It, it's testing. Now, let's just, let's just throw out this, for instance, for just a minute. Let's say that we could do this. Let's say that we had the power, and we went to Debbie Holmes and said, Debbie, you are having a very tough year. I have the ability to remove the suffering from you. Would you like for me to do that? You want know to think she would say? Because I know I would say it. I'd say, yes, please remove the suffering from me. Wouldn't you? I mean, it only makes sense on this earth for us to have it removed. Please help my mind to get uh, cleared out and the, the, the effects of the stroke to, to be cleared up. I mean, anybody's going to ask that. But you know what I believe? I believe that if when she gets to heaven, that she'll have perfect clarity of what went on earth and the bible says that we are rewarded when we come through trials faithfully god just doesn't give trials to anybody he gives it to those who are going to glorify him and when she gets to heaven i bet if you were able to pose the same question now when she's in heaven she sees the scope of the reward that she gets for enduring in trial and if somebody were to go to her and say debbie if you could live your life over and had the power to remove those trials, would you? Do you want to think her answer would be? No. No. Dear Christian, I don't know what's going on in your life. You may be having no trials whatsoever. Teenagers, you get the whole life ahead of you. Your biggest trial is what outfit do I wear this morning and will these pimples go away? You might have more than that. I'm just joking with you. But... Um, Y'all are behaving, right? Okay, all right. But we're in trials of different sorts. Believer, whatever it is, keep your eyes on the hope in Jesus Christ and realize that, yes, there are very difficult times in our lives. And there are times when everything's going well. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ in the good times and the bad times. And make your hope strong and endure because you have something to look forward to that the vast majority of the people in the world don't. And that's an eternal way to glory. What a wonderful promise that is. You may know another believer that's going through suffering. I was um, talking to uh, Dan Hadlock, and uh, we were talking about this very issue. And he brought up um, that he was watching a video in a third world country. It's Sudan, I think is where it was, Dan. Wasn't it Sudan, you said? Yeah. And there was a believer there, and they're, they're suffering under the, the persecution from Muslims, Islamic persecution. And the, they were interviewing this lady, and this is what she said. Because Christians in the West, we don't really suffer because we're Christians. Most of the time, we don't. We don't, we don't have that experience. But she said, if you understand biblical theology, that we are one body. And if you stub your toe in the middle of the night because somebody leaves the pocket door halfway open or whatever else, it affects your whole body, doesn't it? And she said, we're part of a body. Please pray for the body that's hurting. We can do that as believers, can't we? Sam, you're going to probably meet a lot of people, already have, I'm sure, that have fled from somewhere else that suffer persecution. And we can pray for them. Pray for the body. What a wonderful promise we have. Let's go, Lord. And pray. This is a serious topic. This, honestly, trials and suffering is not on my top 100 list of things to talk about on Sunday morning, but it's scriptural, and we do need to talk about it, don't we? Next week, we're going to look at the glorious salvation that we have awaiting us in the next few verses. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know where we are, but I know that some of us are experiencing trials. Whether it's a, a chronic illness, it's a opposition from family, it's uh, something at work, um, it, it, it could be a myriad of things, Lord. But we, we know that these things are brought our way by you to strengthen our faith. And so, Lord... As, as is prayed so many times in the Bible, please strengthen our faith in you. Help us to look to that heavenly hope, that, that glorious moment of your second coming, your appearing in the clouds in the sky. Help us to keep that at the forefront of our minds. Uh, what, whatever we're doing, even when we're not under trials, Lord, that we'll, and life is going good, that we'll remember that something better awaits us. And Lord, for those who are suffering trials, we, we ask that we'll be faithful to pray for them. I think of, of Debbie Holmes. And I, I don't know how she's doing today, but I ask that your grace will be sufficient, make itself um, present in her life. That Today, I ask that you will strengthen her faith and reward her for the way that she has just persevered and, and placed her hope in you. And Lord, we as a body, I ask that we'll minister to her and, the, and her family the best that we know how. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.